0: Will you turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Genesis 17 this morning? We're going to read the first 14 verses of chapter 17. And if uh, you don't have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. The Lord really has been taking us along uh, these first 17 chapters. It's not been superstellar for mankind. Uh, We've seen God's awesome power and might displayed in creation, We've seen it displayed in His mercy and His grace towards a people who just three chapters in have rebelled against this God. And the cycle keeps running. God is dealing with a people who keep rebelling, who keep running from Him. We get to Noah and the ark, and the whole world it would seem has rebelled against Him. And then we come out of that and, it, and Noah and his boys rebel against Him. And we get to Abraham, the father of nations. And just last week you heard, even Abram's own heart rebels against this God. Well, how does God deal with people such as this? This God who makes covenant. The God who is perfect makes covenant with people who are imperfect. We'll find this morning as we look at God's grace at work. Let me pray before we read. Our gracious God, we thank You for the Word that is set before us. It's glorious and it's wonderful because it came from Your mouth. So as we read it here in a moment, God, it is You speaking to us, Your people. And so we pray that it would carry that kind of authority, that it would come uh, to our ears and be effective, that it would transform our hearts, that it would give us hope, that it would cause us to repent, that it would cause us to look to You, our glorious God, as our only hope in salvation and in life, Lord May Your Spirit be at work to do this in our midst. And may we see Jesus and delight in Him and take faith in Him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Beginning with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations... This is God's Word for His people. Amen? Amen. God shows us how gracious He is towards us this morning in the confirmation of His covenant. So we'll see three things. One, God tells us what He will do. Two, God tells us what we should do. And three, God's assurance of our end. First, God tells us what he will do. Uh, when we were camping last week, we were in the desert, and you're able to go out at night. There's no lights, and you can look up and see something that you can't see in a city. You can see the Milky Way. You can see the haze of it. And if you take your phone out and put it on ten seconds for it to draw in all the lights, you can see even things that you, you, the naked eye can't see. The sky is filled Beyond count, you couldn't even uh, you couldn't even begin to fathom how many stars there are, and this God has told Abram, look up. This is how many children you're going to have. It's stunning what God is promising, and what Abraham's believing. About this God that has made these promises. This morning, our passage can really be broken into two main parts. Verses 1 through 8, God tells Abraham what he will do for him and for all the children that come from him, all those children that number as many as the stars. Verse 9 through 14 speaks of what part we are to play in this covenant. Consider for a moment that Abraham is 99 years old as we start this chapter. He was 75 years old when God first called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans with great promises. And it was there that he told him he would bless him and make him a great nation, and that through him all the families, even us on the earth, would be blessed. And it's been 24 years now since these promises were made. Yet Abraham believed God, it says, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's, that's faith. That's what's being described. He, he can't see it. He's believing God at His Word. That's faith. And in Genesis 15, as you heard a couple of weeks ago, God cut the covenant with Abraham officially and confirmed it in sacrifice. Abraham cut these animals in pieces except for the birds, and and God passes through it in a vision as a burning pot saying to Abraham and saying to us that He would bear on Himself the consequences of the covenant if it would be broken. This is to indicate the surety of this covenant and that it would not fail. Our passage today gives us a sign, a name, an everlasting promise to confirm this covenant. The whole of verses 1-8 through indicates the action God will take, God is taking to see His promises come to pass. And it isn't just for this 99-year-old man that needs to hear it, it's us as well. God seems to tarry. And we can grow cold to His promises as we wait. So let us remember the premise upon which they stand. Verse 1. He says to Abram, I am God Almighty. That means there is none like Him. And that there is none above Him. This is His name. Now put yourself in Abram's shoes for a minute. His name, which we learned several chapters ago, means Exalted Father. And and think think about how that name must have pricked him just a little bit. Every time someone called out, Abram! Or every time someone came to visit him at the tent, Abram, that means Exalted Father. I would love to meet some of your kids. With a name like that, You've got to have a lot of boys and girls running around playing, right? Exalted Father. His name is a painful reminder at this point. Abraham has struggled already as we saw in the last chapter with his faith. He had this tension of what God had promised in His present reality. He tried to overcome it by sleeping with his uh, his wife's servant and having a child, he's getting late in years, and so are uh, God is getting late and bringing these promises, but we aren't dealing with a weak God. He is God almighty. He has waited until Abram is ninety nine years old so that Abram can at any time say, "I have made God's promises come to pass." this 99 year old man, cannot make any claims to doing it himself apart from God. The plan of redemption and salvation is God's work alone. So this morning, you can take a deep breath. (laughs) Relief. God's promises to you aren't based upon your own strength or hindered by your weaknesses. But rest in the fact that He is God Almighty. God would have us know this first. He is the Almighty One who will do everything necessary for your salvation. It is His promises and His prerogative to see them come to pass. One only has to look at the verbs of the first eight verses to see this. It says, I make the covenant and I multiply you. I have made you Father of nations. I will make you fruitful. I will establish the covenant. I will give you land and an everlasting possession. I will be your God. God will see to every detail of His promises. And Abraham, who has faltered in his faith for a second time in the previous chapter, needs to hear again. I am God Almighty. Only God can make promises and have the power to see them come to pass. I reckon that we need to hear this this morning. His promises stand upon His unchangeable nature and His power and His will. The second we see it otherwise, we exalt ourselves and seek to save ourselves. So what has He promised? Seeing God properly as Almighty requires faith. It will be for Abram in this late stage of life, so it will be for us who are mired in our own sin, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. When you look around at the circumstances or feel the weight of your sin and its shortcoming, and your shortcomings, what is your faith in? Abram needed this jolt of, uh, of truth for the ebb and flow of faith, and so do you. God is truth. And for any of you who this morning have yet to put your faith in Him, any unbeliever in this room, there is only one trustworthy source of truth. In the whole world, whatever you are believing apart from God will fail you or consume you. The promises of God are for Abram and all his children. Abram will be more than the exalted father. He is given a new name. Abraham. Father of nations. Indicating what is promised to him is promised to all those who have a faith like his. Trusting God at his word. He promised that Abraham would be exceedingly fruitful. In a word, he's talking about the church. This church that has spread now over all the earth. Verse 7, that it would grow and expand and and fill the earth. He promised that, that kings would come from his line. He promised that it would be a permanent covenant that would outlast even these bodies which decay. He promised that there would be land and that that we will inherit and possess it forever and that He will be our God for all time. In a word, it will never end. God didn't have to make this covenant. He doesn't make a covenant because He needs us. He makes it because He loves us. Do you know that this morning? The One who is Almighty loves you. God loves you. Why else would God condescend to sinners who have rebelled against Him? Why would He go to Abram, worshiping other gods in His tent in in Ur, and pluck Him up out of the world and set His love upon Him? Why would He do that for people who every Sunday have to confess their sins out loud? Is it not because He loves us? So then we're meant to marvel at God's action and work and kindness and mercy and grace given us, who has given us such wonderful promises. No wonder Abraham in verse 3 falls down on his face. Those promises may seem so distant to us in this story, but they were telling a greater story as this fits into the narrative of the rest of the Bible. A greater story that's going to come to pass. Galatians 3:16 says. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And if you look, that offspring there is in the singular. These promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, get a hold of that. The promises that are being made to Abraham are promises... Made to God's own Son. What he's promising Abraham is really a promise to Christ, which all those who look to Christ in faith, those who are described by Paul as in Christ, they are your promises. He promises that Christ will be the father of a multitude of nations. That people from every tribe and tongue will be invited to come to Him. He was given a name, Jesus, which means salvation from their sins. He, what He will accomplish on the cross will forever secure a people. Everlastingly so. And as His own people, we will receive a land, the new heavens and the earth, where His people will dwell forever. He is the ultimate King. That was promised to Abraham with everlasting rule. And just like the Lord seemed to, to tarry on His promises with the 99-year-old Abram, feels a bit like he's tarrying now, doesn't it? But if you believe the promises and trust in Christ, you will receive these everlasting promises. Yes, we need to hear it every day. I am God almighty it is his staying hand that will save to the uttermost all those who trust in christ take god at his word this is what abram had to do and it is the only option for all those who hope to be saved so this is what god tells us he will do this then leads us to our second point god tells us what we should do verse one his instruction to those who have faith is to worship Him as God Almighty. And then he says this, walk before Him and be blameless. It's a complete reorientation of how we are to live our lives. Not my will, but His. Not my strength, but His. Recognize His complete and ultimate authority and walk in a way that serves Him. Walk here indicates faith and obedience faithfulness to him in every aspect of your life, seeing that all of it, everything is brought into conformity with him. God Almighty indicates complete dominion over the world, and that includes every aspect of your being, that you can't just cut it off into compartments and say, this part serves him and this part serves me. He wants the whole of you. The last part of that is tricky, isn't it? It's sticky. Be blameless. That sounds like perfection. Is God looking for perfect people? How can I be blameless? Doesn't the whole thing fall on its face every day as I fail, as you fail, over and over again? I mean, Abram, Abraham... He's already failed twice that we know of, and I'm sure it's been a lot more than that. But the whole reason for this interaction with Abraham was because he had wavered in his faith. So blameless is not meant to indicate perfection, but posture. If we're walking before the Lord continually, and we understand we should be walking within the guardrails of his commands what is being indicated is rather the description of the christian walk god is saying walk in faith and repentance this is what it is to be blameless that is to trust him and to repent when we sin we are blameless when we confess to him our sin and trust in the finished work of christ for our salvation Repentance is understanding our first point, which is God has done everything necessary for salvation by His action and turning back to Him whenever we wander. We are blameless when we lay claim to Christ rather than to cling to our sin. We are blameless when we trust His means to save us. Titus 3 says He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This requires us to fall down on our face like Abraham in verse 3 and worship and humble ourselves. So God asks us, To walk in faith, obedience, and repentance, which is the enrichment of our faith. It is faith in action. Receiving His promises aren't earned, they are received. And He goes on to say what is required in 9-14. through He says, keep this covenant for all generations. And the covenant is to be illustrated in a sign. Children, uh, when you were born to your parents or you were adopted... You received something precious. You were given a last name. Different from all those other children, you are set aside as special unto your parents. You are precious to them. You received your parents' last names, you are theirs. Verse 10 says, this is My covenant which you shall keep between Me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Something special God is giving to them. We can call this a sacrament. God is giving a sacrament to Abraham to be a visible Word that declares the promises. A mark that says, you are Mine. God wants to say that to His people. You are Mine. This is to say, Outwardly, you will have a tangible sign to mark the reality of what I have promised to you. But as with all sacraments, it isn't merely just an outward thing, but also has an inward component. So let's look. Let's unpack. What is circumcision to signify in order to show what God is requiring of us? Circumcision of the flesh was to indicate first that God had separated a people for Himself. God had cut out of the world, so to to speak, a people, claimed them for Himself. And His people would be distinct from all other people. It wasn't an identity. All those circumcised would have an identity in the promises of God and within the community that He promised to bless. It also indicates an irreversible action. The action of circumcision was to show God's irreversible promises and character. He will save all those who identify with Him in faith. And it indicates even deeper truths. Circumcision was a bloody and a painful mark. And so it shows God a Godward action. Circumcision isn't what we are saying to God, but what God is saying to us. It indicates that to be His people means that it will be a painful and a bloody process. The males had to receive it, but ultimately, the cutting off of the foreskin portrayed a much more bloody and significant event in the future. Abraham's sons would receive it, but more pointedly, the Son, Christ, God's Son would be cut off in a bloody and painful event upon the cross. To cut away was to indicate the removal of sin. Christ would be the fulfillment of the sign that was to be applied to the boys from the line of Abraham. And He'd be cut off when Christ announced from the cross, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? He was cut off so that we might be brought in. His death was in our place. His blood was spilled that we may be made clean. This sign will be for whomever was with Abraham, his children, and his foreigners. You see, it was expansive. And there's a lot that can be extrapolated from circumcision, especially in the New Testament. Circumcision is no longer required as the sign of the covenant. So what sign or sacrament does God give to us outwardly to show that we have been brought in, that we're a part of this line of Abraham, that we're a part of this family, that we're, we get these promises that are so precious in the Old Testament. How does that apply to me? What sign would you give to me? Because of Christ's death and His resurrection, a bloody sign is no longer needed for inclusion into the community of God. Now it's baptism. Colossians 3 says, "...in Him..." You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off, that is cutting off, the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, that is Christ being cut off in our place, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead." And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The covenant of grace, then, will always have a sign and a seal of His promises. God gives us a sign of His covenant to us. And like Abraham's, Abraham's house, it was for him and for his children. And the new sign surpasses the old because it's expansive even more so. Every man, woman, and child is included. One final thing that God tells us we should do in light of salvation redemption. Circumcision was an outward sign, but it wasn't only to be an outward proclamation of His ownership of us, it was to reflect an inward reality. What does it mean to be a part of God's family? It is that we have hearts that are circumcised. Paul says in Romans 2, for, one, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outward, outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. He's saying this sign is reflected by a heart inwardly that is changed forever by the work of the Holy Spirit. To be the people of God is to have hearts that have the removal of sin and have been converted by faith in Christ. That is the ultimate thing circumcision is meant to convey. God is telling us, look to Him alone for salvation and have changed hearts. And you see, then we're brought full circle. Back to God's command, walk before me and be blameless. That is, have faith and repent. And it is the gospel. It is the only way to receive the promises and blessings. Our last point. God tells us what He will do. God tells us what we should do. We are left with God's assurance of our end. Verse 13 and 14. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. And any uncircumcised male who, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. What's the assurance here? God gives assurance both to the believer and the unbeliever. For the believer to be a part of God's community, one has to trust and believe in God, repent and worship before Him, and walk in His ways. To refuse the sign then is to refuse God. The believer is assured that if he will have faith in God's promises and in his Son who is the fulfillment of the promise, that you will have everlasting life in him for you will receive as heirs of the promise salvation, blessing eternal, and new heavens and new earth. That's what you get. Amen, right? You don't deserve it. He also assures the one who refuses that they will be cut off from the people of God. Ultimately, he is saying that you may expect the opposite of what was promised to God's people. And one only has to do a word search of of cut off in the Scriptures to see what it means. We covered it in Genesis 9-11 through where the Lord cut off all those in the earth except for eight people. Or, in the judgment and the plagues of Egypt, it says, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. For by now I have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. You see, 172 times the phrase is used and it's almost always indicating judgment. What a severe thing that is being said then in chapter 17 to be cut off Uh, God is saying is uh, a, a terrible, painful, and here everlasting thing. And for those who would refuse the sign, it's to say I would rather have your judgment than be your people. Be assured to refuse God's gracious promise of Himself and blessing and to refuse to be a part of His people by faith and repentance will result in being cut off forever, everlasting Judgment, so rather be circumcised in your heart and believe in Christ who was cut off in our place. That cut off judgment was experienced by another so that you might not experience it. The bloody sign is fulfilled in the cross of Jesus Christ so that we might cry out in faith for God to circumcise our hearts to love Him and to keep His commandments. It is truly a great promise that is given to us. And God has done everything necessary to secure it. And He asks of us these things. That we would walk in faith and be blameless, repent of your sins, and turn to Him. And that mercy that He's shown Abraham, that He's shown everybody from the beginning of the book till now, and will do so till the world ends, and passes into those everlasting promises of a new earth, new bodies, no more sin, the presence of God, and seeing the King of kings face to face are given to you. It's a glorious story. God's grace at work. I pray that this morning it would be at work in your hearts, that they might be circumcised, that you might be cut out and set apart to Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.